Hi, this is an interview with people from Lion, whose flagship projects are datasets, specifically datasets to train models like DALI or CLIP. So pictures and text that goes along with the pictures. They scrape these from big internet scrapes. The first dataset had 400 million images and their newest dataset has 5 billion images. These are unprecedented scales to be open sourced as datasets. The creators of DALI or CLIP, uh, OpenAI, they never disclose their dataset. They never put it out there in public and Lion does. So this is a big service to the community. And I was super excited to have them on here. Another thing is just how grassroots this movement is. The uh, founder, Christoph, who's also here today, is a father and a teacher and does this on the side just as a hobby and sort of wants to demonstrate a little bit how anyone can take part in open source research. Now, multiple times during the interview, his kids would actually come in and uh, be like, daddy, play with us and so on. YouTube is very strict on this. I cannot show the kids, even though the, the kids themselves would have loved to appear in this YouTube video. So, you know, kids, please, um, I'm very sorry. Es tut mir sehr leid, wenn ihr 18 seid. Open invitation, offene Einladung für den Channel. I thought this was really cool and inspiring. In addition to learning what Lion is about, enjoy the interview. Let's dive right in. Hey everyone, today I have the team behind Lion 5B with me. Christoph Schumann, Roma Beaumont, and Kate Gordon are here who contributed to this project in various ways, which I hope they'll just uh, tell us about in a second. This is a giant data set. It's over 5 billion image text pairs. So not just images, but image text pairs. And along with that, an open clip model, open sourced clip model that matches the performance of OpenAI's clip model, which is really cool. These, these big companies, they rarely give out their biggest models, if any, if you know, if at all. And if they give out their biggest models, they usually don't give the data set behind the model. So it's really cool that we have like a large data set. Uh, there has been some controversy a, a, around your smaller data set that you released, I want to say half a year or a year ago. I hope we can get into all of that today. But first of all, uh, uh, thank you very much for being here. Welcome to the channel. Welcome, nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, um, just maybe tell me a little bit, uh, what is Lion and what is Lion 5B? So it all started like 10 months ago, I guess, on the Eleuth AI server when we talked about how could we eventually replicate DALI and where could we get like 200, 300, 400 million image text pairs. And um, there was this idea of going to Common Crawl and looking for all the image links and uh, only take those that have an alternative text. And we have been talking about this in the multimodal channel there together with Aran and Ben Wang. And um, they got a little bit distracted with the project of GPTJ. So they ended up focusing totally on GPTJ. And I was sitting there and was a little bit upset and thought, hmm, why don't they pursue this? Because I, um, compared to them, felt like someone who is not that a good programmer. And um, then I thought, okay, screw it. I'll just do it myself. And I uh, sat down and wrote everything down in one collab and began crawling from common crawl and filtering with clip. And then more and more people joined me. At first, Tio Combs. Um, he uh, 
he was the first to join me and so we called it crawling at home because uh, at first we had some collab notebooks and some GPUs somewhere on from some people on the Discord servers and they were all like downloading and filtering, downloading, filtering and uploading the results to a rented server. And yeah, and after a while, more and more people joined, like Richard, who is not here at the moment, but he's also a very valuable, cool contributor, Richard Venku. And um, we optimized the code so that we could filter and crawl with one 3090 in one day, um, 30 million image text pairs after the filtering, not before. So in the end, we ended up like at the peak with like 30, uh, well, no, no, 60 or 100 small uh, mini servers downloading the images, sending them to Richard's, Richard's GPU in his bedroom, filtering everything and spitting out in the quality of like conceptual captions, 12 million, what was the uh, was big, biggest then at the, at the time, and uh, 12 million image text pairs of decent quality. And we could generate with one 3090 within one day, 30 million. And at this point we said, oh, wow, <laughs> we should really scale this up. And um, I asked someone, like we already had some people on Discord who gave us the CPUs, their GPUs, and so it grew and grew. But then it was clear that we could get um, was only the nations we got from the community could get to 400 million. What would be like the scale of OpenAI Clip dataset? Because Clip was trained initially on 400 million image text pairs. And I said, okay, we can get to 1 billion if we would get like maybe $5,000 of donations for paying for small CPU servers and maybe some GPUs somewhere. I don't know. And I asked on the Eleutha AI server, and within like 10 minutes, someone said, oh, if it's only 5,000, I will pay it up front. <laughs> someone who has like a startup. Um, it's uh, Jack from Doodlebot AI. And yeah, he uh, ended up giving us in the end like $10,000. So he was our first official sponsor. And... Um, I have to say the i.eu also provided us with some compute, but the first sponsor who gave us money. And then I said, okay, I don't want to have this money on my bank account. Um, we probably, for now and for the future, should start a non-profit. And then came Jenya, who is not here at the moment, Jenya Jitsev. He's a lab leader of the um, deep learning laboratory at the Jülich Supercomputing Facility. Um, and yeah, we had been in touch and he said, okay, uh, we, we will join with our people because we want to train models like DALI or CLIP on uh, the Jülich supercomputer, like Juvels. It's a giant machine with almost 4,000 A100s and he cannot directly access it and train a DALI, but he can access it for proof of concept, small projects, and then apply and so we said, okay, let's start a nonprofit, and we take this as a shell for basically getting money, getting resources officially, and then spending it for creating cool data sets and um, training models and giving them away for free, no fees, 100% open, because we were 
I mean, we were a little bit disappointed by the promise that OpenAI made by the name of OpenAI, and many people had been joking on closed AI. And uh, I totally understand that if you get $2 billion of funding, that you have some strings attached and that you have some protocols and problems and that they have security, safety concerns. But we said, okay, we don't have the means to do all the basic research, but we can try to do what they were doing, what Microsoft is doing, what Google Brain is doing, and just taking the code or replicating the code and releasing such models for free. And then we started a German non-profit, a Verein, Gemeinnütziger Verein in Germany. And um, yeah, ever since everything took off, we released the 400 million data set. And less than one hour later, I got mail from um, Thomas Wolf from Hugging Face. And I got also in contact with many more people. And everyone wanted to talk to us. And um, now we also get some monetary uh, support from Hugging Face that also enabled us to do the big data set. And we have Stability AI, who is providing us uh, with GPUs and will provide us in the future with more GPUs. We have an ongoing application for 600,000 GPU hours on Jewels. We don't have like the result yet, but in one month we should know for training a big clip model and applying this to, to some downstream tasks. So yeah, everything is moving very fast. And one year ago, I was just like a family daddy and a, a computer science teacher. So I'm, I'm a computer science teacher. And um, everything developed very quickly. And now Romain, who is also like an awesome guy with much of experience and the, the cool tools like image to text, uh, uh, image to data set tool that you already introduced in your, your ML news, <laughs> I remember, <laughs> and Kate who is a really brilliant um, computer science student who is really uh, into CLIP and he helped us to train a CLIP and replicate the results of the um, Vision Transformer 32 base. Um, and we matched roughly with a small variation, sometimes a little bit better, sometimes a little bit worse on several data sets, um, the performance, the, the original performance of the original CLIP. So, yeah, everything's looking really nicely. We have no intentions of um, going for profit. We have, we agree that we want to stay open. We agreed that we want to stay non-profit for several reasons. And um, everyone who likes to contribute or to talk to us, maybe someone has some questions, maybe someone is curious about something, everyone can join our Discord server and just ping us and ask us. Cool. Um, so I want to dive into sort of the biggest uh, criticism that I would have with this project in that your data set essentially crawls common crawl for image text pairs. And I'm going to guess that's image and the associated alt text or whatever text you find with the image. And then you have this filtering step is what you say you can do a lot of images on a single GPU, but you're essentially using OpenAI's clip model to filter image text pairs, which clip deems to be, you know, fit together well, right? So I isn't, does that like how much of a, 
how much of a bias does that introduce into a data set? Especially now, if you say, well, we train a clip model on this data set, right? And we, we are able to match the performance of OpenAI's clip model. One could ask, you know, is this, are you essentially replicating their result or are you simply uh, matching their performance because the data set is already essentially filtered to, you know, the data points that are conducive to that model. So could you dive a little bit into your choices there and how much do you feel that is an important step, this filtering? What does it, like, what's the, what does it give to the data set um, to use that? And do you have plans to maybe switch that up or improve that part? So no one um, claimed that this would be perfect, but before I did uh, this, I started with uh, JFCC 100 and I uh, filtered this also, uh, and I filtered it basically on Colab and yeah, whatever. And um, I checked a lot of image text pairs manually. And I just got the feeling after looking at thousands of images and text pairs that 0.28 was a pretty good threshold. Like that if you go above the threshold with the clip B32 from OpenAI, then it really seems to match pretty well. It's still a little bit noisy, but it's rule of thumb. And if you go above 0.3, it's even a little bit better. Not perfect, but a little bit better. And this is what we have. This is not the ultimate solution for everything, but I think because we are going so big, and crawling over so many images that are you made by humans, or the annotations are made by humans, that in the end we will still get like a lot new information in. And it could be that some people, maybe some names of people that the original um, clip has not learned, or some concepts, some nouns, or some adjectives that it has not learned, could go below. This, this could always happen. But um, yeah, I mean, from the standard benchmarks that we ran, the results are pretty good, and everything is work on progress. Yeah, I don't, I don't doubt the quality aspect of filtering with OpenAI's clip. What I'm a bit worried about is that you're essentially replicating what how this model sees the world, right? This model isn't perfect either, and so it will, it will sort of replicate its own you know, vision of the world into your data set. And especially if you then train a clip model, right? That would that would be replicate. Have you tried uh, just training a clip model on let's say an unfiltered um, data set? Um, or what, what could also be possible if you have many different such models that somehow estimate quality of images and text that you could build some sort of an ensemble. Um, I don't know if you have plans in the future to to replace this filtering step or make it better? Is that something you have on your radar? I guess one thing we, we do have is the unfiltered pairs. Like we have actually 10 times this, uh, like we have 50 billion unfiltered pairs. And yeah, there, there could be some work to, that could be done on analyzing these pairs and trying to see if it's different. Uh, but but yeah, the problem of just using them is then you lower the quality a lot and I don't know if, if we do, what it would do. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting point and we don't fully have the answer on that. 
I think this is one of the points that will become more apparent when we start to train the larger clip models. So at this moment, it was like line 400M. So that was the initial data set that we had, just that subset. And getting in the range of OpenAI is at least sufficient enough to prove that we've at the bare minimum been able to like replicate the exact like inferences of the model and get into like sort of like that convex hole, so to speak, of its like confidence threshold. I think the more interesting result will come into play as soon as we hit the 5 billion scale and we get up to that larger threshold. If we're able to sort of like push the numbers that OpenAI got before, it could also be in response to the fact that we have like maybe different image towers and text towers sure that. But if we can outperform what OpenAI did within their original models, it could be a sign that the data set was able to get like just enough stochasticity to go outside of like perfect confidence. Again, it's something in the future and it's not a result that we have, but we're optimistic in seeing what it lies. Did you, like how big is your data set? Just give me some, some numbers in terms of like gigabytes. Like what, what can I expect if I work with this thing? Uh, so 240 terabytes 240 terabytes yeah if you download it in uh, 384 resolution <laughs> and you have you have different piece of cake so you, you collected if different images can you give me some numbers on that like what kind of resolutions do you have uh, how long are the descriptions usually just kind of some so people can imagine a little bit what what this looks like uh, I think you, you, if you could open the, the blog post, the blog post, the yeah, it has a... uh, there, yeah, um, here, <laughs> yeah. So, like for example, the English part is two hundred, uh, is two billion uh, samples, and then if you count only the ones that are bigger, uh, both in width and height, than two hundred and fifty-six, it's like a billion, and then half of that for uh, half this resolution, and yeah, so. Um, it's a lot of images which have a, a decent resolution, but if you want to train like a, uh, like let's say a highly quality, high quality generative model or maybe segmentation model, maybe you want to use uh, a high resolution uh, subset. Um, yeah, in terms of uh, caption length, uh, yeah, I want to add the precise number in, in, in that in that section, but. Um, yeah, it's around like, uh, I think it's around 200 characters, but yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I should add that. I computed it at some point, but I think I didn't, yeah, I didn't add this in the blog post. Yeah. And yeah, so this, you have this okay. uh, language distribution as well, which is um, interesting for the MBT language dataset. DO, I saw it just a second ago. Yeah. Um, it's a, at the, at the same, there yeah, yeah, there. So it's a long tail actually, because like we have like 100 uh, languages and yeah, the first one we have a lot of samples, but then yeah, you have this long tail of many other languages that are available. Um, but yeah, for example, you have 70, uh, you have a 7% of the multilingual data set, which is uh, French. Well, that's interesting. Do you always have one piece of text with an image or do you sometimes have multiple because a lot of these data sets uh, that are captioning data sets and so on they provide kind of multiple labels for one image there it's just one image one piece of text okay and that is it is it always the alt text of the image or do you sometimes like grab text around this is like um work for the future so in the future, we want to build an audio text data set with a similar approach. So 
currently we have some people working on um, training a small or mid-sized audio clip model on existing um, data sets. And once we have one of sufficient quality, we could go through all com of common crawl, filter out all links to audio files and try to somehow get something like the alt text. Because usually there is no alt text, but we could like look if there immediately before the link or after the link is some text that has a sufficient um, audio clip similarity. And there is there are many ideas, but um, if anyone would like to join us and work on this, everyone can join. We are truly open. <laughs> Just get onto the uh, Discord server and say here. <laughs> so, so well, yeah. Also, go, go ahead. Yeah, um, two things that uh, you had been talking about previously. So what could we do to make clip recognize more things that had not been in the original clip data set? And one interesting perspective for this that is still work in progress, but um, that could maybe work, is we are experimenting currently with a training clip with a frozen image encoder. And uh, one idea that we have is to train a masked image of the encoder, something like SimMim or the uh, MAE from uh, Facebook Meta. And um, then we could train it on many, many images without texts. And so the basic idea is that if you have a really good uh, image encoder that can be trained in a self-supervised manner without any text, there, then the limit is the sky because, like in theory, we could get like 50 or 100 billion images from Common Crawl. We uh, do not pursue this at the moment because, like, um, five billion is enough for the next few years, I guess. <laughs> but um, so the idea is to train a really good image encoder in a self-supervised fashion, and then we freeze it and we can train it with text, train the text encoder. And I guess in this case, we would have much knowledge from the self-supervised training about what is actually in an image. And we wouldn't need the clip filter data. We could take any data set. And this could help with this. So we're exploring. We are cooperating at the moment with the Clope team, um, with Andreas First, who is the first author of the Clope uh, paper. Like This is an improvement of the original um, clip architecture with some Hopfield layer magic. Yeah. So let's see what happens. So um, tell me a bit about what it takes to, because th these are unprecedented scales for, for most people. By the way, there, there's a nice overview here over the um, over the entire acquisition pipeline, which is, is really nice, distributed and all. And then you train this clip model. Now the clip model you have currently, you, you already said it, is on the uh, on the 400m dataset, uh, which is the let's call it the old. It's not super old, but it's it's your previous dataset, which is on the scale of clip. And you trained a clip model on this. What does it take to work at let's call it at that scale, right? ImageNet is one million images, and that's already considered like a rather large dataset for most researchers that have like a GPU or something like this, right? 400 million is almost, I would say, most people probably aren't working with this size of data. 
is it easy? Is it hard? Like how, how do you go about training this model? So there's like two large contexts for this. This is whether or not you're in like your large HPC cluster or if you're in more so just like your generic data farm. So at least these results were supported by Jules Booster and the foundation, which upholds that. Um, there, it's also a very large institutional barrier of even like getting to the batch size that they offered. So in terms of data set alone, you have to have everything like stored on disk. And that is a nightmare in itself, getting it collected. And that just in terms of memory is probably not accessible to most researchers. Then you get an extra layer, which is the exact batch size of clip. There have been other papers that have shown that these large multimodal contrastive models are like extremely batch size dependent. Basic has a really good um, table on this, and it's hard enough to get to your data set alone, hard enough to get the infrastructure just to support that. But on top of that, can you get your massive A100 cluster to actually spin this up? And one thing they don't talk about is the massive engineering struggle that goes into actually doing contrastive loss on this. Um, let alone if you just take a 32,000 by 32,000 matrix, it's like two gigabytes in FP16 or four gigabytes if you're doing full precision. And that just becomes a nightmare of overhead. And so the wonderful team that I've been working with, uh, this model is just as much mine as it is theirs. Um, we've been putting a lot of our time into just how to optimize the small things. Like for instance, um, when doing contrastive learning, you don't actually need entire global batches. You can do only certain um, calculations that are necessary for your local gradient routine, so on and so forth. But to achieve this scale, there are a lot of challenges that these large research labs don't like talking about because they're not as pretty to write in the paper. But this isn't very accessible immediately for like everyday researchers. And we think this is something very important for other people to get their hands on. And so hopefully, this will inspire more companies to give out the compute necessary to accomplish results like these and inspire further researchers to uptake in this direction. Uh, you also mentioned that your original plan was to train something like Dolly, right? And Clip is an important component of Dolly. Is this still on your radar to eventually train something like Dolly? Because there are other projects going on. I know there's like mini Dolly and uh, other people trying to replicate Dolly. Like, what's your your thoughts on replicating Dolly? Yeah, there's so much going on, and it's incredible. Um, so there had been from Lucid Rains uh, the PyTorch Dolly project, and we actually tried this on Jules Booster. So we got this to run on, I don't know, maybe 256 A100s for 10 minutes. <laughs> and um, it would work in theory, but, but the thing is... Papa? Ah, my son is here. One second. Daniel, I'm... he has uh, rubber balls. <laughs> okay, uh, Daniel, I need time. Okay, kids are important. So this is very, really awesome about all of this. You know what I'm doing, like on the Discord servers. I'm doing this when I'm on the playground. I'm doing this while I'm playing Minecraft with my kids. I'm doing this when I'm at the shopping center, like from my mobile. So I can do this in my free time. And this is really amazing. But um, what was I talking about? Dali. Dali, yeah. yeah. So the thing is with Dali, um, we could have pursued this and we had to make the decisions. At first, we wanted to apply for a uh, compute on Jewels last August for like a half a million GP hours for creating DALI, but we missed the deadline because we were so busy with line 400. 
And um, then I had a realization. Others are working on Dali. Dali Mini is there, and Min Dali, and you have like uh, Ru Dali, and now the Fusion models. And I said, hey, Clip is actually not that amazing in the f on the first lens, but on the second lens, it's far, far more amazing because you can use it to guide generative models. You can use it to make huge data sets. You can use it to create um, semantically meaningful embeddings. And this alone is very interesting because like, um, I had this idea and Eleuther people had also this idea that maybe one could like take images and texts and do sequence modeling on the clip embeddings. So you wouldn't do the sequence modeling on the image tokens or on the text tokens, but maybe on the abstract ideas. So I compare it like it's not 100% accurate, maybe, but it's like a metaphor. So if I'm thinking about I want to go to the fringe and get some food and want to do this, I'm not really imagining everything in full HD resolution and I'm not thinking, oh, I will go to the fridge. You know? So I'm more like having the idea in a kind of mixed embedding space, idea space. And so um, one thing that we have in mind is like something in the future, maybe not now, but if it would eventually work to um, take embeddings from audio, from video, from text, from, from all modalities and bring them into the same embedding space and then somehow bring a transformer to model them. Um, this would be really interesting because you could like train it on uh, text, on video, on everything and um, could do it in a very, very efficient way. And uh, Eleuther people had been working on this they got many uh, not number errors <laughs> from feeding in the direct clip embeddings because it's probably just like too too big, too unstable with all the noise in the clip embeddings. But I have the hunch that clip is really powerful. And I didn't realize this when I first read about clip, but I think so the idea you have GPT kind of models, they have sequence learners. They can model sequences of whatever, of images, of text, of, of all kinds of data. And you have something like Clip that can take different modalities, basically any modality, and convert it somehow into a shared embedding space. And I think these both topics are a little bit disconnected in the mom at the moment. But in the future, there's very much room left to the ceiling to combine them, maybe do something like quantization of the clip embeddings or whatever like I, I i have no clue exactly but i could really imagine that in the future if we could get all modalities into a semantic shared semantic space and find a sequence learner to model this this i i have no idea i i, I maybe i don't dare to dream of AGI or so in this or connection, but I can really see similarities that in my stream of consciousness, when I think, okay, I want to go there, then happens this, then I do action X and action Y. This is not so different. Yeah. Well, there is a debate of whether you need to uh, actually interact with the world to achieve AGI, right? I think that's the, the big hurdle. 
Um, the other thing is there's this model or this paper called CM3. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, they are doing something very similar to what you just suggested with actually quantizing the, the images after encoding them uh, with a, with an image model and then using an autoregressive model in order to, to model that. So maybe that, that might be some ideas. Maybe I can, I can say a few words about your initial or your previous question of about the, the size of, of things and how do, how do we handle it? Um, I think maybe I have a slightly different perspective um, because for me, what was interesting in, in this project is to be able to do all of this with actually little resources. Uh, because yeah, it's pretty big, but for example, the 400 million data set, um, just with some Python code, uh, pretty optimized, you can actually download it with like uh, only one machine and three days, which I think yeah, that's, that's pretty good. And at this scale, you only have like 10 terabytes of data, so you can actually store it at home and it's not that expensive. And I think that, that's pretty interesting because I think that was one of the things that made it possible for uh, like many researchers to get ion 400M and start uh, applying to uh, various uh, ideas. Like we had, we had a bunch of papers trying to, that, that took it and trained some uh, generative models train some contrastive models, uh, that kind of uh, things. And uh, and yeah, and the, the story is a bit similar, uh, but of course a bit more costly with new, these new data sets. So I had to make everything distributed. So now it's like uh, 10 nodes and not one <laughs> uh, to download it in a reasonable time. But still it's in the, reason in the domain of reasonable, like you can, you can have it without being a very large company. Uh, yeah, and uh, and yeah, and following up a bit on this idea is um, so one of the things we did as post processing of these datasets is like downloading everything and computing all the clip embeddings out of that, and then putting that in a Canon index, and that's the, uh, the the UI, the demo, and I think one of the idea uh, beyond that is sure you can explore the data set, you can look for cats or whatever you want, <laughs> um, but you can also use that kind of uh, index to extract uh, new sub data sets that are much more much smaller and that can be interesting to to uh, to train uh, let's say um, smaller things and uh, solve more specific problems so maybe you want to build to find all the pizzas uh, from the world and I don't know <laughs> get inspiration for your restaurant uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or you can, for example, uh, try to build some kind of subset uh, out of Lion 400M uh, or Lion 4B. Like, for example, Christophe has been starting a project to find all the humans in the dataset and see what's there, what can we understand from that. And yeah, and I think what's interesting is that it, all of this it democratizes uh, AI research, like it becomes possible to actually uh, build that kind of stuff without having too much resources. And uh, yeah, I, I hope that we can, uh, it makes it possible and uh, and yeah, and that people play all with all the tools and the data sets. You, I see you, you're storing the, uh, the data set on S3, which does 
I know like uh, Eleuther stores their data set on, on the I, which, su which supplies these resources. I know S3 has like significant charges for egress, right? If people download this, that you incur quite some cost. Uh, I think they have like 20 cents per gigabyte, which would be like 200 bucks per terabyte. So at 200 terabytes, someone downloading the data set would cause you something like uh, $30,000, $40,000 dollars of or so yeah. um what so this is this is what your sponsors are are there for or do you have like a deal um, with with amazon no we we, yeah. we are very lucky so we we are very lucky um our sponsor for computer at the moment or our main sponsor for the gpus and for the s3, s3 storage is stability ai and um, their plan is actually to gather resources from different companies, investors who actually want cool multimodal models openly available because they want to use them, but they don't want to build an ML team or hire people or so. And he has many connections. Emad, he's uh, the, the CEO or the, the founder of Stability AI. And he has a very good deal with AWS. And um, we won't share the AWS files that we have because we don't own the copyright of the pictures, but we are sharing the metadata, the URLs. And so everyone on his own, uh, his or her own liability and risk could download them from the original sources. We recommend that if you do this, you make sure that the dataset is shuffled nicely. It's or it's already shuffled, I guess. Right? Yeah. yeah. And um, so when we started the project, we got problems because we didn't properly shuffle them. And sometimes some uh, webmasters complained that we were um, downloading too much from them, and the dataset where we were renting the machines got, got, got some complaints, but. If you shuffle it properly and you download it over all the 5 billion image text pairs, there is no problem usually. And um, with the wonderful tool image to data set that Romain programmed and that now also um, supports distributed downloading with a swarm of CPU workers, one could um, download it for relatively small money. I mean, Romain, can you just tell more about this? Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, that, that's the big um, thing uh, I think that, that makes it possible for us to share the datasets. Like uh, Lion 400M is uh, 10 terabytes in images, but the, the metadata is only um, 50 gigabytes, which is quite handleable. Uh, and same for Lion 5P, the image is 240 uh, terabytes, but the, um, the metadata itself is about uh, one terabyte which is handleable. And then, yeah, you can use uh, that image to dataset tool to get the data, uh, uh, which works. Well, of course, there will be some link hots and you will start losing a bit of data with time, but it's still pretty reasonable uh, given the uh, total amount of data. And uh, about the cost, yeah, to, to download Lion uh, 5P, if you use some AWS instance, I think the cost should be like a $1,000 which is not nothing, but it's not like the 40K you were uh, mentioning about egress. Yeah, 
Okay, so it it won't it won't cost it won't bankrupt you and it won't bankrupt me if I download this data. Yeah, set. exactly. Okay. Yeah, I see. That's and for cool. the future, there is a new direction that we are exploring at the moment, or that uh, the Hive Mind project is exploring. So um, they working they are working on some code that it would allow you to directly stream the images from the URLs. So you um, download them, you buffer them somewhere, and if you have like a decent internet connection, that th this should actually work. So um, last time, Alex B from the HiveMind project, he's also on our Discord, he told me that they could reliably um, train like 50 to 60 images per second. And for a small model, this would not be sufficient, so we would get a bottleneck. But if you go to something like a Vision Transformer capital G or capital H, the training takes so much time that um, it wouldn't matter. So you could like train a capital H Vision Transformer with this and you would need only maybe 100 gigabyte or so of storage on your machine. That is interesting that the models, they get so big that essentially the, the bottleneck shifts away from the internet connection to the to the cluster forward propagation. That's pretty cool. Um, but you, you mentioned a, a good point in terms of releasing these kinds of data sets and the, the uh, not technical challenges, but let's call it legal challenges, social challenges, and so on. Uh, you you already mentioned there's obviously issues with copyright. Uh, so any image that, that you have, if you want to reproduce it, you technically uh, need to have some sort of a, a license to it, or you'll be a criminal in some country on the world for sure. Uh, so you only have the links, you solve that part uh, pretty well. Um, the, but there has been there's been criticism, I think, with respect already to your earlier data set. Specifically, I remember about two weeks uh, after it was released, like insanely fast, there was a paper uh, wide like criticizing. It was it was framed in a weird way, like it was half criticizing your data set and half criticizing the large companies for not releasing their their tools to filter these data sets. And could you? maybe um, summarize a little bit what that criticism was of your data set and what, what was the issue? So basically the issue was that um, the authors said, if I remember correctly, that our data set is not properly filtered and that if you go to our web demo or to the raw data, you could find stuff like sexual content or hateful content or really disturbing content in it because um, the content is not manually filtered by humans. And that training on this data could eventually lead big models to behave in a toxic way or maybe in a biased way. And um, I don't think they criticized only us for this problem. But they said that we were at the moment um, not careful enough about these topics. And I, I and guess I guess that's one reason why these big, apart from competitive advantage, right? A reason why the the large companies might not release a data set like this, because inevitably, I, it, there's even like there there is legit adult content in ImageNet, right? Like this this data set has been used over and over. There's legit just 
uh, full-on adult content. I've seen it. Um, it's and I guess these larger companies they might not release the data set also because yeah copyright issues um, because of of these types of things. I also remember they specifically referred to the fact that a lot of um, a lot of adult websites they use this alt text to do search engine optimization. So what they would put in the alt text would be just terms that a lot of people search for if they search, if they frequent these websites and that would make it such that a seemingly un like either a seemingly unsuspecting image would go together with offensive terms or seemingly unoffensive terms would would be like associated overly with adult themed images um you know they had some some examples right there sorry but i interrupted you so to put everything in a appropriate light i want to make um some things very very clear first we do not recommend anyone to train models with the raw lion data sets and put this into production without really careful um either filtering or end uh, thinking about how to make them safer. So this is just a research data set that could also be used by companies for research purposes or maybe for pre-training and later making really, really thoughtfully sure that it's safe. This is the first. The second, from the initial version, I already had some um, filters in that tried to generate tags for non-suitable work and to filter out obviously illegal content uh, through clip scores. And this time we improved the non-suitable work model to become really good. We have now a clip embedding-based classifier where you can run inference over tens of thousands of images within a second if you have the embeddings. And it has on a test set, so I made in November a manual test set for non-suitable work. And uh, the test set has around uh, 3,000 images. And it gets an accuracy of uh, 96, above 96%. So it's already pretty good. And it's really fast. And thirdly, we are also cooperating with um, TU Darmstadt, with uh, Christian Kerstling and um, Patrick Schwadrowski, I hope I pronounce this name right, to use their existing offensiveness classifier because they have an offensive content classifier based also on the embeddings of CLIP that also detects things like um, violence, hate speech, things like dead animals and um, it is really conservative so it tends to also filter out like like uh, Halloween costumes <laughs> so <laughs> but uh, we will soon provide also these and I think what we are really doing by releasing all these samples and not filtering them out in the first place is we generate a huge opportunity for safety researchers to create uh, openly available non-suited for work classifier datasets. So everyone who wants to get toxic content out and non-suited for work content out is invited hereby 
to work on our raw data to generate subsets and train better tools in the future to filter those things out more reliably than we can currently do. And I remember your your not safe for work classifier initially was already pretty good. So in this um, in this uh, so this this UI you have right here, you I think you have it. Maybe not here, but I remember you had a not safe for work button. Oh, safe mode here. Obviously, yeah. can't can't show this here since this is going up to to YouTube. But I tried to reproduce some of the results in that paper, and you know, for the kind of egregious results, you really had to actually untick that that box and select the the correct sub model right here, uh, because you have you have different sizes and also different models of clip that you um that you had. Now that is. That's probably gone now, but I remember I could select a different smaller clip model and the really egregious results, I had to untick the safe mode box. I had to select the smaller clip models, which would probably be less nuanced and uh, more more prone to these kind of things. And then I could reproduce it. So um, yeah, I, I'm certainly I'm certainly in favor of, of people, you know, looking and saying, you know, look, Alt text is often used for search engine optimization and that, you know, can play into that can can kind of poison the data set. Um, yeah, but I also feel there's a big opportunity to use this in a constructive way. Although if you if you like the implication is because you filter with clip initially, and you still get these images in your data set, that means clip itself must have been trained on a lot of data like this, right? Like, it it also means that OpenAI hasn't managed to to filter out these types of of images, right? By implication, which is pretty interesting to think about. Yeah, there's something related to that which is interesting is um, so to train this safety model, um, Christoph mentioned the training set, uh, but for the model we tried several things, and the first thing that Christoph tried was just training hand to hand uh, efficient net model, and it worked pretty well. And, but then uh, the, the, the issue with that kind of model is then you need to spend a lot of GPU resources to do the inference. So then we also tried to use uh, a, model, a small model based on clip embeddings, uh, which is then much faster. Like you can run the whole inference over the Lion 5B in one day with just CPUs. Um, and what's interesting is that it works almost as well as the efficient net model, which means that indeed clip has that knowledge. Like it can tell if you add a few layers of dense, uh, a few dense layers on top, it can tell you uh, whether it's unsafe or not, which actually is a good feature. Like you want clip to be able to tell you that. So yeah, that's. Uh... And yeah, in, in that way, yeah, if you uncheck or check uh, safe mode, it will uh, enable or not this inference uh, over the clip embeddings, and in live uh, filter out what the model considers as uh, unsafe. And there is a big opportunity in actually having clip models that are trained on uh, toxic data, because it helps later to detect this and maybe even to generate um, synthetic data sets to combat this. So I have been in contact with Jonas uh, Androulis from Aleph Alpha, the CEO of Aleph Alpha, and they have their model Magma. Magma takes as an input a clip, um, the clip output of a frozen clip, and projects this into a GPT-J and then can generate captions and do visual question answering. 
And um, I have seen very interesting results where um, Jonas showed me where it had been toxic memes about racial discrimination. And then Magma was asked, why is this toxic? Or why is this eventually um, offensive, this meme? And Magma generated plausible sounding explanations for this. And I bet this was cherry picked. But nevertheless, if you would have like potentially toxic or offensive content, you could take any VQA model, maybe that's based on clip. So you wouldn't have to train it again and then uh, generate potential candidate explanations. Why is this toxic or why is this non-suitable work or things like this? And you could take these candidates, show them humans and let the human just click okay or not okay. And by doing this, this kind of work, um, one could generate easily with far less human resources, huge safety data sets to explain basically why something is potentially harmful or offensive or whatever. So I think to have such kind of models for the research community, um, this is a really good idea. And if um, there may be, could be some bad actors, I am very sure that they would find other ways to find you safe models that we think are safe, but maybe are not. I, so I think the illusion of believing that my model is perfectly safe just because I excluded all the harmful data from it is uh, a little bit naive because there could be gaps in the filtering or harmful actors could take them and fine-tune them easily. So this is a false safety. Instead, we should rather train the research models with a huge disclaimer and um, be aware that uh, true safety only can come from really careful thinking and engineering. I, I'm a, I think this is a, a common way in, I don't know, like psychotherapy or something like this, that actually exposure to danger and exposure to what you're afraid of and so on is the best way of, of handling these things. And, you know, I think as these models get bigger, I'm more and more convinced that we should eventually apply. Of course, if I have a linear classifier, there's not too much to do. But I think these large models, they're capable enough that if if they actually encounter such data, if they incorporate it and so on, they're large enough, I believe, that we can teach them to discriminate internally. Oh, as you say, like, you know, this is this is probably not a, a picture that I should serve at this particular, you know, for this particular search query right here. I'm I'm at a I'm at a I'm a, I'm being used at a wedding to uh portray, you know, pictures of the wedding pair, the bride and groom and, and the one where as a child, they smear poop in their face might not be super appropriate or so. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this is in my, that's just my opinion, but I think this is a good way to go. Do any of, you, of your sponsors uh, have any kind of like concerns or strings attached, you know, when maybe they see criticism coming your way? Was this ever an issue with any sponsor or do you, do you ha did you have like sponsors that were like hesitant because of these things? No. We don't have so many sponsors. We have Doodlebot AI, we have Huggy Face, mm. great thanks to Huggy Face, and we have Stability AI. And um, I think when they read these concerns on Twitter, they probably 
instantly had opinions that resonate with our take on this. Cool. So where can people get started with this? Like I'll link everything in the in the description. What do you think is the best entry point for people if they just kind of want to check out what you're doing? Just come on our Discord server, read through all the channels that exist. Uh, we have channels for dataset creation, for audio dataset now. There is an audio clip effort going on. We have DALI, several DALI channels. We have several clip variant channels about Clope and Lit and uh, DFilip and DClip and what all of this exists. We have some channels where just people uh, post the generated art, the generative results from the available uh, DALI variants and Glide variants and so. Just join. Basically, I mean, you could just reach out to us and ask me or someone else if there's a project where some help could be needed. Or you could propose your own project. And if it's cool... Um, we can try to connect you to some of our sponsors to get GPUs or whatever. Cool. Anything else you want to get out to viewers, listeners? Yeah, don't hesitate. Just like even if you're a high school student or a university freshman or whatever, like anyone can join. Like Theo comes, who uh, was the first to join the project um, when I started. He actually, uh, I always believed that he was something like a master student or so, and later it turned out <laughs> that he's a 16 years old uh, high school student from London. And uh, yeah, he didn't know anything about deep learning at this time. Now he catched up, but um, he was really good at doing all the server communication and he learned on the fly. So um, we have many, many stuff. And if you have your own idea, if you would like to, to try to train a style again or fine-tune a DALI version or whatever, just ask us. All right. In this case, uh, Cade, Roma, Christoph, thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you for doing this. For anyone, yeah, check out the, the data set. It's pretty cool. It's a nice contribution, very, very cool contribution to the community. Uh, thank you. And I hope I hope this continues. Thanks. Thank you so much for having us.